0: I got distracted and was looking at that website, dot pudding.cool. pudding.cool. And so therefore, I've missed, missed the start of this section of the podcast and have no idea what you guys are talking about. I'm sorry. Let's just move
1: on.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to the very 101st episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom, which is coming to you on the 18th of January 2024. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. We had some letters of comment. We start with competition winner Christopher J. Garcia. Oh ho. And it pleased me to listen to Hugo Girl the other day where they read out Goodreads review by Chris. Laurie was like, I'm going to read this out like John reads it on Octthorpe. Christopher J. Garcia. And it made me giggle. So hello, Hugo Girl people. That was great. So Chris is our competition winner. He wins a copy of All These Worlds Reviews and Essays by Neil Harrison. Chris, I will mail it to you when I'm in LA because it will be cheaper than mailing it from Newcastle. When
0: are you in LA, John?
2: For Galley. Oh, We'll get back to that foreshadowing. Congratulations on 100 Epishoes. I do think I prefer Ishipodes, but Epishoes is good. He listened to 23 books, which, according to Audible, is 14,049 minutes, which is quite a lot of minutes reading. How many hours is that? I'm going to put it to Liz that even though she read 96 books, which is four times more than Chris she may have spent less minutes reading. What do you reckon, Liz?
1: So it says that 14,049 minutes is about 234 hours. Now, I reckon I read about 100 pages an hour. So the question is, did I read 23,000 pages? No. (laughs) So no, it was definitely Chris. But I would point out that I cannot multitask while reading, whereas maybe, well, I know that John, not John, I know that Chris can definitely multitask while reading as he is habitually doing seven
2: things at once before breakfast. He can actually listen to an audiobook in his left ear and Octothorpe in the right ear. Which is a pretty magical skill. He also notes the amazing thing about California libraries is that they no longer have fines. Newcastle also doesn't have fines, which makes me much more likely to return things on time. Which is weird psychology. It used to be when it was I paid some money and if, if I was late, I was just like, oh, I'll pay the money. It's fine. And now it's like, no, don't be late because you're being inconsiderate. And I'm like, but I don't want being inconsiderate. I'm a nice boy. Uh, so I return things on time. And it's very curious how that psychology shakes out.
1: Can anyone tell me if uh, Cambridgeshire County Library System still has fines? Because I think I might still owe them a fiver.
2: <laughs>
1: is that your library fines, Sigh.
2: I can't find anything on the Cambridgeshire Library's website about fines. Oh, no, hang on. Charges for late renewals. 25p a day, Liz. Well, they weren't 25p a day at the time, but I think I dropped
1: some books back and then never went back into the library at one point. So, sorry, I
2: probably owe them a fiver. I hope they don't put interest on that. Chris also said... Romanticy dates back a long way. He remembers Gail Cariger calling soulless back in 2009 or so. Well, 2000, 2009 is a long time in internet time, no? Um, I think that was a long time. I, I, I was 20, seems, seems ages ago.
0: <laughs> I, I think the genre has been around a lot longer than that, even if it didn't necessarily have a name. You know, I think there was a lot of that sort of stuff knocking around when I were a lass.
1: Yeah, let me find the blog post I want to quote.
2: Carry on. While I look for it, Neil Harrison agrees with Chris Garcia. Uh, So Neil says uh, on the marriage genre um he's looked into the matter and we can't blame or credit goodreads for originating romance it's been at circulation for at least five years although um goodreads has popularized it um but then he follows up with but maybe goodreads should invent new genres spotify does this there's someone whose job it is to look at the emergent patterns from listening data and give names to different clusters which is how you end up with playlists for things like catstep chamber psych and Solip Synthem. um The fact they are based on actual listening behaviours makes them fascinating. Goodreads could do the same sort of things, and who knows what they'd come up with. You cannot see
0: on the pod, but I am nodding vigorously to that suggestion that
2: Goodreads should be
0: using its data in this way.
2: Step one, it wouldn't work very well uh, because your data set is so much smaller. Like The number of tracks a music listener listens to in a year is orders of magnitude higher than the number of books most people read in a year um and so i do think this probably works way better for spotify uh, than it would for goodreads and part of the reason i say this is because if you are interested in doing this kind of analysis i have a phd project available on using k-means clustering in order to evaluate uh geomagnetic storms and hemispheric asymmetries in the earth's magnetic field uh you can go to northumbria.ac.uk or find a phd dot and search and you will find the project so if you're interested in this kind of science come work with me newcastle's great i'm great yay
0: but what if i'm more interested in in micro genres of science fiction and fantasy than i am in
2: my recommendation is to do a phd in clustering machine learning and then go work for a company that does it it turns out many people who do phds on ml end up working for companies doing ml rather than in academia which is shocking
1: Yeah, go and do do a PhD with John and then you can call yourself a data scientist and machine learning specialist and earn quite a lot more money than you would continuing
2: to work for John. Sorry, John. Anyway, romanticcy.
1: Because having, you know, complained about it, I think there's two things. One is that, yes, it clearly does exist as a category and has existed before Goodreads started picking it up, although maybe was not often called that. And in fact, Adam Roberts had a blog post in mid-December, which I missed precisely about this. And, you know, talking about uh, Jacqueline Carey's books as maybe one of the kind of first things you can point at and say they are romantic Um And the other thing is, uh, really, I see it as Goodreads adding an extra category into their awards for a thing where there are maybe lots of books in this area. But it also feels a little bit like, let's take all these books out of fantasy and give them their own box and I'm not sure how I feel about that.
2: Mm, good. I think you feel good about it. Is that helpful?
0: Possibly. I mean, I mean, Goodreads are reflecting what a chunk of their readership is reading um, and looking for in fantasy. That You see, when I'm kind of looking at a fantasy book to read, I'm kind of looking at all the ones that aren't that. So it's quite useful for me to have them off in a genre. I mean, I guess I do read things that you could
1: call romanticcy, but just not
2: that many. Tell me if you think this is an uncharitable interpretation, Liz. But, like, I suspect you would find – my guess would have been that you'd find the distinction useful because you – there are certain books. It, so, for instance, with um, Legends of Lattes, right? Like, if that was in romanticy rather than fantasy, you'd be like, oh, brilliant. That's in the bit that I can safely ignore or dip into when I want a cosy read, and these are the bits where I might actually nominate them for who goes.
0: But I don't think romanticy... It's kind of not romanticy, though.
1: Yeah, I don't think romanticy is cosy.
0: What? What's the point? <laughs> romanticy, the point is the romance, right? The, the, it's the strong central romance as the thing. Whereas when I read a fantasy book with a strong central romance, I, I go, oh, God, let me get back to my fantasy world and what's interesting and different about it
2: because if i wanted to read a romance book i'd go and read a romance book in what way does legends and lattes not fill the description you just said because to me
0: the central romance is wet and not very and doesn't take up very much of the plot i mean in that it has that in common with everything else in the book but yeah
2: i i prefer the wet romance
1: well what you want john is smut talk which is also a
2: category apparently smut talk
0: oh yeah
2: hang on, smut? Smut as in the Tom Lehrer song? Yes, John, obviously. It didn't have any smut. Like, I'll put it this way, I thought it was a lot more romance than I did smut.
0: Yes, but romance has a lot more smut in it than you think. Yeah, so romanticy probably has quite a lot of smut in it, I would think. I have, Not that I've read a lot of it, but on average.
1: Listeners, if you are bigger readers of, like, romanticy than i am in that i think i've read a handful of books you would pick as romanticy but not that many please let us know kind of how you would define
2: it fair shall we move on yeah i suppose so jerry sullivan writes in saying that this is thoroughly insufficient as a letter of comment especially given how long it's been since they last sent us one now there is no minimum quality of lock required if we start getting into minimum qualities of products, some of our previous episodes would be ropey at best. So yes, feel free to write us with any inane thoughts you like. Um, but Jerry notes that I forgot to credit one of the scenarios in in If I Ran the Zucon, uh, which is the BNF scenario by Priscilla Olsen and Fred Isaacs and Leslie Turek, so I'll put that in the show notes in a minute. Um, when that was a good one. Yes, it was. Uh, and then also... Uh, went back to episode 98 and offers a small um, correction to Mark's lock, which is Mark wrote that LA was in 1994 and, of course, it was in 1984. Um, So, yes, unless it was time travel.
1: Mark, how was the 1994 LA Worldcon?
2: It would actually have been unallowed. So, in the parallel universe when there was a 1994 Worldcon... It would have had to have um, been after a change to the constitution. Or
1: 1993, Con Francisco didn't happen for some reason.
2: No, no. That's one of them what's names.
1: Uh, fixed point. That's the badger. All right. Does that have to exist so that Hispania comes along so that you may later meet Hispania at another world
2: con and get married? Yes. Oh. Very important. Bridget Bradshaw sends us a letter of comment saying congratulations and thank you for 100 episodes you are most welcome thank you for being here with us um she says she is sad to hear unsung stories of step back from print publishing um she messed up her plan not to buy books faster than she reads them when they offered 18 books for 50 quid. And she sent us a photograph of a very lovely looking shelf with lots of very lovely looking paperbacks on it, including The Coral Bones by E.J. Swift. But she notes that The Coral Bones uh, is uh, out again in paperback, this time from Joe Fletcher Books. Um, and we will put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you for pointing that out, Bridget. Um, what you could do is put that bookshelf in as chapter art. Yes, I could do that. That's a good idea. Yeah, for the two people who see the chapter art. On the subject of 100th episode, congratulations! We also heard from uh, Fiona Moore and Johnny Badley and Dave Mansfield congratulating us for 100 episodes. Thank you very much, folks.
1: And Trishy M on Blue Sky also said that. Yes, we're on Blue Sky. By the way, you can follow us. I might post on it if I remember.
2: I'm bad at social media. Edwin Moreland also said, not only a rare time all of our picks were books, but also a rare time that he'd already encountered all of the picks. We should announce what our next book club pick is going to be so that people can read it before we talk about it if they want to. We should. It's going to be Grass by Sherry Tepper, which was
0: a Hugo nominee in the year it came out, but I think did not win the Hugo, um, and which is my pick. The other two both having had a go now.
2: Yes. We also heard from Dave Mansfield, who said, Dear Octagons, as an influencer on the Podbean socials, we'd love to get a shout out to your audience of science fiction and SF fandom. The opportunity to hear about funcon One." so this is a very excellent reproduction of emails we get on the regular from people who are like hello will you please influence on this thing and i'm like no go away um but dave is lovely so we have not told them to go away um so FunCon one is a weekend convention at the end of may which is in the palace hotel in buxton and it is called space leopards probably won't eat your face where fun meets science meets fiction this is one of a number of conventions which are coming up in the next year, which we will henceforth talk about. Um, and FunCon 1 is in the hotel that NovaCon is in, usually. So if you like that hotel, do go along. Or if you like fun.
0: I thought you were going to say this is one of a number of conventions which is happening this year in the Buxton Palace Hotel in Buxton.
1: It would be weird if the Buxton Palace wasn't in Buxton, wouldn't it? ha <laughs> <laughs> I'm going
0: to open the Buxton Palace in Stafford just to confuse everyone. So I'm going to mention very quickly that Cantabile Triple Time, that's the 34th convention, um, is happening on the 2nd to 4th of February um, in the Palace Hotel in Buxton. So if you were a Filca, I don't know if we have any Filkers listening. If you're a Filker, hello. Um, And that is also going to be in the Palace Hotel in Buxton. And they haven't had an in person FilkCon for a few years, so this is quite exciting I think.
2: Emily January is a Filker, so we've got at least one.
1: And I hope all the Filkers already know about it because it is in like two weeks, so you've probably got a week to sign up from the day of this pod.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but somebody out there might go, Filk, what what on earth is Filk? I should I should look into it. And Filk is science fiction folk music, guys. Everyone knows that, right? And if you want to listen to it and you like Buxton.
2: Yes, if you like Buxton. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. Filk uh, is where you. <laughs> all right. I've put that in. We will try and put all of these things in the show notes. If I do not put them all in, listeners, please um email me so I can rectify my error. It's good that the Filk conventions are starting back up in person. I think that's very, very good indeed. Like, hurrah. That sounded sarcastic, but I genuinely, genuinely do.
1: Genuinely, yeah.
2: There is also, probably, PicoCon, which will probably be in February. Probably. PicoCon is organised by undergraduates, and therefore the lead time on the announcement is not always what you might want it to be in an ideal world.
1: Well, it's organised by the Imperial College Science Fiction Society, who may or may not be undergrads. There may be grad students, which is probably a tiny step up in organisational capacity and busyness, but yeah. It would be nice if they would let the world know when they're going to have PicoCon sometime about now.
2: Do you want me to do my provocative people should stop complaining about this so you guys can vigorously disagree with me? Oh, you
1: can if you want, unless you're bored of that rant already. I think
2: that there is a segment of British Science Fiction Convention fandom who would quite like PicoCon to be a lot more organised than it is and have forgotten what it was like to be undergraduates.
0: So I think that John may be talking out of his hat here because the thing about PikaCon is that it hires the, or probably doesn't pay for, but books out the Imperial College Student Union for an, the whole of the Student Union for an entire Saturday. And my theory is that this date that they're going to do this on is not actually still under negotiation, but it has in fact been in the diary for some considerable time, possibly since the day after PikaCon last year. And they could perfectly well tell us all what it's going to be. We're not asking for a lot. We don't need you to, to do a whole thing with, you know, where do you have to go and what do you do. And just, just tell us the date it's going to be on so that we can turn up at Imperial College at 10 o'clock in the morning, or if you're me, about three o'clock in the afternoon, and, um, and come to a convention. It's normally about the third Saturday in February, but people like us and, um, and I guess Dave Langford, who does the um, indispensable news fanzine, Ansible, would like to know, before our deadlines, You know, if, if PikaCon is going to be, for, be after, before our next episode, please tell us so that we can
1: publicise your convention. That's all we ask. I suppose the question is, who is PikaCon for? If the thing of Pikacon is to try and get a bunch of people to turn up and pay a small entry fee and, you know, in, that helps the society have some money to do fun stuff, then you probably want to advertise it in time to have people turn up. Um, whereas if it's just sort of like a day when we're going to spend a day talking about science fiction and being in the bar, then it's probably less essential that you advertise it early enough to get people to come in potentially from out of town.
2: I only ran one convention when I was an undergraduate, which was a convention called Sabercon, which we ran at the University of Leicester Students' Union, but we did not run it to make money. We spent all the money on things for the convention. Possible they spend all the money, I don't actually know.
1: I think we may all be too out of date to really speak to modern undergrads and what their lives are like now, though. But yeah, it's quite possible that they are all... Very busy, frantically trying to get their money's worth out of their thousands of pounds they've spent on university.
2: Yup.
0: Yeah, and indeed, last year PikaCon, which is always in February, was in March. So, so it is possible that that will happen again.
2: Hello, everyone. John from the future here. We heard after we'd recorded that PikaCon will be happening on the twenty-third of March. There is also going to be an Easter con, which will be at the end of March 2024, in a place called Telford. And we'll probably be good. I'm going. I'm going. Liz isn't going.
0: Yeah, so so not it's gonna be quite a small Easter con, which I guess we probably knew because it's a world con, yeah.
2: It's a world con, yeah. The small ones are more juicy.
0: <laughs> I quite like Easter small Eastercons because, you know.
2: I like all Eastercons, but small Eastercons do definitely have they they are definitely good Eastercons. They have a vibe. They're all good Eastercons, Brent. We could discuss which were the good Eastercons in one of these. Have a have a have a what's name, a draft, where we draft Eastercons. Oh yeah. Can we have another one of these please? In the order we enjoyed them.
0: <laughs> That's the thing about conventions, you can never go back. Which Easter, which convention would you like to go to again? No, I mean I have a clear top of top, clear winner of that, which is Luncon Three. I would like to go to go again as a punter rather than as somebody who wore a high vis jacket for seventeen hours a day. I would like to go to Luncon Three.
1: <laughs>
2: I am as previously referenced going to a convention called Gallifrey 1 which will be in mid February in LA uh in the United States. Uh so if anyone is planning to be there uh hit me hit me up uh say say so and we'll hang out it'll be good. Are you going to have octothorpe ribbons to give people John? Uh don't know probably not but we'll see. We are working on our cosplays which will be very good. They are British genre comedy, but they are not Doctor Who. Ghosts? No, better. Ghosts? Oh, no. That was... (laughs)
0: Liz was ahead of me there.
2: She was. Hmm. British? No, I am going to go as Garth Marenghi. Oh, yes.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes.
2: I have brought. I have bought a bull belt buckle and a pair of gold like glasses, like the ones he wears. Uh, and we've got lab coats, and it's just generally going to be great. Nobody's going to realise you're cosplaying, are they? That's brilliant. I I think they will. I hope they will. We haven't yet fully completed it, but we are working on it. So I might have to have ribbons that say, "I know writers who use subtext, and they're all cowards." Yes. Uh, which is one of my favourite Garth Marenghi quotes.
1: Absolutely. Um, can I ask who hispania
2: being? She's going to go as um, Liz Asher. Uh, she's going to get a blonde wig and she's going to wear the beads. That's the problem. I because she can't go. She can't go as Dean Lerner because I think it would be not obvious enough, and she's not really got the frame for Matt Berry. She's definitely got the attitude.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think it would be great if she was Dean Lerner, but yeah maybe not
2: the The one problem with Garth Marenghi's dark place is that it was made in a time I think if it was made today, it would have a lot more women in it uh, than it did at the time.
1: Are we sure in Spain you can't pull off Matt Berry? Can't she do the voice?
2: <laughs> I'm sure she I'm sure she could pull him off <laughs> and there will also be a world con. I don't know if people are aware that Glasgow 2024 is occurring. We've um with um maybe unterrible, but we've banged on about it a bit. Um but we do have a couple of tidbits of Glasgow news. Um and Liz put one of these in the show notes. Liz.
1: Yeah, I put one in saying that Glasgow Hotel bookings open January twenty second, which I got off the Glasgow welcome Facebook page.
2: Intrepid researcher Liz. I'm going to go and check
1: it, enjoy these typing noises.
2: Yes, 22nd.
1: Keep an eye on their socials for further information.
2: Nice. If you are staff, you will have already had the link for hotel bookings. Like it goes, as, as, as Liz says, it goes live on the 22nd, which if you're listening to this on the day of release will be on Monday. So look out for it on Monday. We have booked in the Campanile, or the Campanile, depending on how that word is pronounced.
0: Oh yeah,
1: we're in the Moxie, I think. I was going to go for the village. John, I will just say I would check the recent reviews for the Campanile, Campanile on TripAdvisor, because they are a bit of a thumbs down.
2: Oh, they were right when I stayed there last time, but that was a little bit ago.
1: Yeah, they were fine when I stayed there in 2005. From the reviews on the website, it sounds like they may not have updated the hotel since 2005. So I'd have a quick check. I think I'm going to go for the village, probably, which is a little bit pricier, but not much pricier.
0: The village also has a swimming pool. That's a really nice swimming pool. Village hotels are kind of like swimming pools with hotels attached to them. It does. but how? I mean, I thought about that, but then I also thought, how much am I going to go swimming during a World Cup? Yeah, that was why we ended up on the right side of the the river.
1: But yes, in case anyone has not been on Worldcon staff, generally what happens is they let the staff book a little early so they can break the booking website in all kinds of different ways before we let the general public loose on it. But that does mean you get to book a little bit early.
2: Yes, which makes sense.
1: Yeah, it totally makes sense, but it is also a nice tiny perk if you think your preferred hotel is going to sell out. I'm not sure they will, though. All the hotels are quite big.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, Indeed. And then there's also a other thing. Would you like to be more specific? Or would you like one of us to be more specific? <laughs> I would love to be more specific. There is also some news that they have some new special guests. Um, so they have the hosts of Three Black Halflings, which is a TTRPG podcast. They are going to be doing live shows in Manchester and London in April in 2024, and they're coming to Glasgow as well. Presumably they will do a gl- live show at Glasgow, but that is not stipulated. We will put a link in the show notes to the File 770 story. Um, but yes, this is actually, this is really interesting because they also announced um, Tanya Dupas previously, uh, and so I am excited by the number of like gaming-related additions from recent times.
0: You might also think that the chair of Glasgow 2024 was a professor of games.
1: I would also say if you said what is like an area of major, major interest that WorldCons have uh, typically not covered very well, it is gaming. So definitely makes sense to beep things up there. Beef things up there, not beep things up. John will beep things up later. Uh, Beef things up by getting some special guests in that area.
2: We have um, altered our booking.
0: And where have you gone
1: to? The village. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John! We can have breakfast together. Did you look at the reviews for the Campanile? It's probably Campanile because they French, I think.
0: I was going to go. I was going to go to the village, and I had said that. But then, when I thought about a choice between over the river and not over the river, I went for not over the river.
2: I'm not. I yeah. I don't know if I think. I don't really care. Is that bad?
1: Depends if you like to pop back and forth your hotel room. That extra five minutes. You know, it becomes quite an obstacle if you want to pop back five or six times a day and leave things there or nap or whatever. But I think if you're going to leave your room in the morning and then go back at two in the morning, it's not a big deal.
0: I'm not sure it's closer. What's that? I'm not sure it's actually any closer. It's close to the bits of the SEC we're not using. Um, I think the village may be they're very close.
1: Oh, is there a bridge somewhere? Anyway, I'll go and look at it.
2: There's a bridge, There's a bridge that goes basically like right by the village. Um, Mm. You have to walk past the Premier Inn.
1: So Alison just doesn't like crossing running water?
2: She is a vampire. We do know this about her.
0: (laughs) I am vaguely, vaguely worried that something might go wrong with the footbridge and leave you with a long walk uh, at the middle of the night.
2: Ah, I see. You've got to bear in mind that Alison lives in North London, and so places south of any river innately (laughs) scare her in ways that, as non-Londoners, we can't even begin to grasp. That is 100% true. How do you feel about Gateshead, John? We're going to be talking about things we might nominate for the Hugos over the next few episodes. And we would like your help. Please email us your favourite things from 2023. Um, Please do not email us your favourite things from other years. We're interested in 2023 specifically, but please do let us know uh, and then we can read them and maybe shout them out on the pod if we think they're good, Or, or watch them, or listen to them, or other things. And in forthcoming book news, China Mayville and Keanu Reeves are doing a collab, which is friggin' excellent.
0: That's amazing. Do we know anything else about this collab apart from that?
2: It's a Keanu Reeves-created universe that started as a comic and he invited China Mayville to write a book in that universe. And say what you want about Keanu Reeves, he has very good taste. Like, I have never seen a thing that Keanu Reeves was in where I've been like, oh, I don't understand why he did this project. He, he is... He, I, yeah, no. His, his presence in things is usually a good sign. His acting in them, not always a good thing but his presence indicates that it had merit on the surface. Is that too harsh?
1: Um, no. Maybe, it may not be harsh enough, John.
2: (laughs) Well, like, because every time I see him in a movie, very often I think he does not bring much to the text, but very often I think the text has something really interesting about it and I can see why he agreed to do it. It's like the opposite of someone who does terrible things and elevates them, if that makes sense. (laughs)
1: I think he's very good in films where... Like, there are obviously films where he's really well suited to them and they work really well. And then sometimes he's in a film where I'm like, this film was not super well suited to you. What are you doing? Which I would pick 2005's Constantine.
2: I I think if you didn't know much about Hellblazer, Constantine was quite good. Because relevant to the rest of genre movies in 2005... I think it was quite imaginative. It's just relevant to Hellblazer. It was not relevant, relative. Does that make sense? Yeah. Liz is just staring at me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we may be going on about Keanu Reeves a little bit too much now. I suppose it's fair. I am, I am, okay, there's too much Keanu Reeves.
1: But yes, it's true. I was thinking of Hellblazer as he kind of is written in the comics, which is very much not like Keanu Reeves.
2: Oh, yes. No, that is true. That is 100% true. But
1: he is great and always be my maybe,
2: so... He is so good in that movie.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's so funny. I have not seen that movie. Should I see that movie? Yeah, John has plugged it before on the podcast. Uh, Okay, hang on. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on.
2: By, yeah, when I get Netflix back, it's one of the things I might rewatch.
0: Is it on Netflix? Because I've got Netflix back. Yes. Yeah, it's
1: like a Netflix original film.
2: So I'm slightly preempting the conversation about things we might nominate in Best Dramatic Presentation long form with this pick, but I am going to pick Poor Things, the new Yorgos Lantios-directed film starring Emma Stone, which I went to see yesterday. Um, It was released in the US in 2023, so it is eligible uh, for nomination in 2024. Uh, It's Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Uh, And it's just great. It's not a movie to watch with family. You should definitely not watch it with your children or your parents. And it really, the 18 rating at the start says that it contains strong sex. And I made fun of it because I was like, what does that mean? And then it became very obvious through the film exactly what that meant. And it was, gosh. But it's very, very interesting. It's very, very disturbing in the way that Lanthimos' films tend to be. I liked it more than I liked The Favourite, I think. I definitely liked it more than The Lobster. It was, it was very good. And Emma Stone is absolutely fantastic in it and thoroughly deserved the Golden Globe. Mark Ruffalo also doing his best Matt Berry impersonation, which is something I never thought I'd see, but I am very glad I have seen it. Basically, he plays Toast of London. Like, if they ever need to do a Toast of London where there are two of them, I feel like Mark Ruffalo would be great casting. Have either of you seen this or read the book it's based on?
0: I I read the book Poor Things a very long time ago. And um yeah, no, I will look for, I w- I'm going to look out for this. I should go and see this. Um, Yeah.
1: I haven't read it and I don't think it's out here yet, but it's hard to find kind of upcoming film release dates. So I'm just hoping it might come out in February or something.
0: We went to Finsbury Park over the um christmas break for a thing and discovered that finsbury park has a picture house which is probably our closest decent cinema that's that's accessible by public transport now so that's that was quite exciting i can actually go to the movies again
2: i will also say um i didn't understand all the controversy about scotland seems fine that it's set in london
0: he's kind of like a national
2: hero right i on the i saw a bit of trivia on imdb um So Yorgos Lanthimos approached Alistair Grey about adapting poor things, apparently, in 2009. And Grey took Lanthimos on a personal tour of Glasgow. Can you imagine if we could have done that as a Glasgow 2024 program item, just following Yorgos Lanthimos on a tour being given by Alistair Grey would have been great. And Lanthimos said, He was a very lovely man. Unfortunately, he died just a couple of years before we made the film, but he was very special and energetic. He was 80-something when we met, and as soon as I got there, he had seen... Um, his previous film, Dogtooth, and said, I had my friend put on the DVD because I don't know how to operate these things, but I think you're a very talented young man. Which is friggin' excellent. Uh, <laughs> I like that. That is good. That is good. He came
0: to a Mexican. Oh, did he? Nice. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mexican 3, Mexican 4, one of them. Um, somebody will write in. <laughs> he, was, he was good.
2: I mean, Mexican doesn't have guests, but obviously he was guest. And yeah, no, it was great. No, highly recommended. Um presumably it will be coming to Disney Plus because it is, I believe, a Disney film. Ooh. Ah, okay. Well Dodd.
1: That's the most likely place I will see it then.
2: Yeah, it's not a film that shies away from uncomfortable subject matter. I will say that. Um probably probably content warnings for underage sex and problematic power dynamics. I yeah. Um so if, if those are like things that are likely to bother you, I I might think about whether or not you should see it. Um but I and I think I think it's deconstructing the power dynamics between men and women in relationships in a way that's really interesting. Um but it does so by portraying some of them.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if it's still going to be on next week when we don't have plague.
2: Uh possibly. Hi everyone, it's John from the Future again here. There is an exhibition of costumes from Poor Things being shown at the Barbican until the 26th of January, which I meant to mention during the recording, and I forgot. Right, so I've, um, I've, I've gone back to the safe territory of movies for my picks. Everything is right with the world. And now I confidently predict that one of my co-hosts will pick a game
0: yeah, yeah. Um, it's
2: not me. Wild.
1: This is because I wrote it's a game in the show notes, so it's not like John has developed pre-cognitive abilities or anything. I am picking a game which was recommended to me by Abigail Nussbaum. I think she's just quite good at finding like little indie games. It turns out I might like.
0: Oh, it's a video game. Every time this has happened, I've then lost. A significant portion of the following week to completing the game that has been mentioned
1: <laughs> it's quite a short game so it's a video game called counts of cenar which abigail compared to another game called heaven's fault which i haven't played which i might then go and play anyway chance of cenar you're basically kind of thrust into a world which it turns out is a tower and on each level of the tower is a different peoples and you have to basically figure out their language usually by listening to them reading written materials listening to what they say and so you're sort of figuring out okay well if the first example is you go to a place with like a couple of levers and you push one and a gate moves up and the other one you push it and the gate moves down and so you're like okay well this is the words up and down then and then you go through to the next area and someone says you know mystery character up and then mystery character down and you figure out these must mean me and you based on who's supposed to be doing different things and it just does that for the whole the whole game. You're trying to figure out from context what the unknown words mean and it's it's quite clever. So at some point it will offer you the chance to kind of demonstrate that you understand some words and then it will lock you in and give you the, the official translation and until then you can put in your own like unofficial little notes and translations and things and it will translate what people are saying. And the languages are clever. Like, you know, you'll figure out that some of the characters and maybe two other characters put together to form a particular word in a way that makes sense. And, And it all starts to come together, what's going on in this tower and what has happened as you learn the languages of the different people going up. So it's really neat. It's mostly puzzles. It does have a few sort of like stealth bits, which are not very difficult, but a little bit annoying. And I will say I played it on my nice new Nintendo Switch, which is probably not the best platform because this, at least if you play it on the handheld one, the screen is a little bit small. And there was one stealth bit I was having difficulty completing and I watched like a little video walkthrough of someone doing it and I was like, ah, you can like select a particular thing that I don't seem to be able to select with the controls on the Switch. You have to point click, point and click on a mouse to do it. So I think like it's a little bit more difficult on the Switch just because you can't see some of the stuff on the small screen, but otherwise it seems perfectly playable. And so I happily sat there playing through this. I would say it takes maybe 12 or 15 hours, so it's not super long. But it is quite moorish when you're like, oh, I've only got to figure out another four characters and then I'll have this whole language. And then you move to the next floor and there's another whole language and you're like, I'll just play a little bit more, a little bit more. And it's quite moorish. So sorry, Alison, for telling you about it.
0: Oh, I love that sort of thing. I'll, I'll bear it in mind if I come down with Plague in the next day or two, which is not unlikely.
2: Um, do you mind if I post a spoiler on Discord? Because this is 20% off on Switch until today, and it is 20% off until Wednesday on PlayStation and Xbox in the UK.
0: Yeah, no, can you put that down? Because I might go and buy it as soon as we finish the pod.
1: It's like 12 quid or something on Switch,
2: so
0: it's probably cheaper on
1: PlayStation. I should have got it on PlayStation. Same price. Yeah, but probably not in Thailand, where PlayStation prices in Thailand tend to be significantly below the UK and US ones, and Switch prices are not, because I have to use the UK store in Switch because there's no Thai eShop.
2: Ah, right, possibly. Which probably explains why the Switch is not very popular. Yeah, no, I can imagine, I can imagine that. Listeners, I will put links to the UK stores in the show notes, um, because I'm parochial.
0: Right, I think it's your pick, Alison. Can I do my pick now? I'm slightly sorry because I, I, I may have, I may have poached this pick off Liz, who did recommend this to me. Um, but to, in my defence, when I went into the show notes to write my pick down, her pick was already there, so it's clearly all's fair in love and picking things for Rockthorpe. Um So my pick is a graphic novel. It is "Why Don't You Love Me" by Paul B. Rainey, and I think. I, I saw some conflicting evidence. Stuff. Somebody said it had been published on his website and then collated into a book and somebody said oh no it's always been a book and that's all it's been. So I I am not sure which of those is correct. Um each page of the com- of the novel the the comic is a uh like one page panel comic that of the sort that um if you ever saw Posy Simmons in the Guardian or numerous other guardian comics or sunday strips that sort of format but it has more in common with the guardian strips than it does with the um sunday ones because although there is some humor in quite a lot of these strips they're not kind of roll on the floor laughing funny at any point and indeed the graphic novel is not roll on the floor laughing you are introduced to a couple they're a couple with two children um and they are clearly very unhappy, and they are having massive fights. And um, they are, in a de- as long as, as as well as having massive fights with each other, they are also neglecting their children very substantially. For and you, you just don't know why at the start. So you're very much thrown in in media res, and obviously gradually over the course of the graphic novel, you find out. Why? why they are unhappy, why they are not looking after their children, um, what is going on. And it does kind of pick up a bit, so it is not quite as relentlessly bleak and depressing as it seems at the beginning. But this is not exactly a cheerful graphic novel. So you might want to go and read it when you're in a, you know, imperturbably good mood, rather than when you're already a bit grumpy. Um, it, it seemed uncomfortably like my own experience of raising children, which was kind of a bit distressing. I used to have a fridge magnet um, that said, who are these people and why are they calling me mum? And so it it was quite resonant in that sense. I thought it was fantastic. Um, It's going to be on my Hugo ballot and I appreciate it. I've not yet told you enough to understand why um, it'll be on my ballot. And I don't really want to because saying why it might be on a Hugo ballot is in itself a little bit of a spoiler or even the fact that it could be, but it's good. Go read it thought it was great would like to see more graphic novels like this getting
2: attention it's a graphic novel it is a graphic novel oh yes so i have a question then which is did you read it in paper or in e i bought i got it from the library my library had a copy i in in paper or in e from the library
0: uh my library had an ebook of it and i read it on my ipad
2: was it good in ebook?
0: It was slightly irritating because, in fact, I, I mean, I may have been able to sort this out, but in fact, it was presented in two page spreads, so I had to zoom in and then read one page and then swipe my finger over and read the other page. This is not very irritating in the grand scheme of things, but it was just I would have preferred it to be one page at a time, and that may be something that I could have sorted out in the Libby
2: software, but did not bother to do so. Readers, write in. No, I, I'm very suspicious of. I love reading comics in electronic format but i'm very suspicious of reading them i used to love comiXology but that's gone now and it's kindle and ebook versions of comics are awful and so i'm like well i don't want to buy it if it might be awful and the lack of delineation between comiXology and kindle now makes that very difficult uh and so i'm like well i might just buy it in paper
0: or you might be able to get it from your library um, thereby cutting
2: through this possibly
1: I mean, I read it in paper and I borrowed a paper copy, so I'm not really much use here.
2: That's fair. Can you lend it to me?
1: Uh, No, because I borrowed it from Nutty. You can ask him for his copy.
2: Nutty, if you're listening, can I borrow that comic from you?
1: But I would say that it is presented in sort of landscape format. They're kind of, you know, rectangular pages that seem like they would be perfectly oriented to be read on an iPad or similar. I just don't know how big an iPad you need for it to be sensibly workable.
0: Um, It's fine. It it doesn't have a lot of tiny text or anything. It's fine on my 11-inch.
2: I prefer reading comics in Landscape on iPad. It's my one criticism of the Marvel Unlimited uh, app is that if a page isn't designed to be read as a two-page spread, you can't read it as one, which annoys me because if I'm reading comics that I've acquired like in other formats and i can read them in a different app then i'll read them in landscape preferentially um so maybe the EPUB would be fine i've decided for 2024 i'm going to try and consume all of your picks because i'm a good person can you get
0: the sample guys can you get the sample uh on kindle just get the sample if the if it works the sample will work and then you'll know if it works or not before you buy the book because one great thing about Kindle is that they give you a few pages to read and you can find out whether the formatting is terrible.
2: Very important for cookbooks, this. But I do need a Kindle to do that.
0: You need to get the Kindle app if you're going to do that, yeah. Or the Kindle Cloud Reader. But actually, it might not be. this one might not be readable in the Kindle Cloud Reader, now that I think about it.
2: So can we have an after show, which is Amazon and Comics? Because I used to know how it works and then Amazon did a lot of things and now I don't think I know how it works. Do either of you know how it works? Because it says on the Amazon page that I can read it on Comixology. Is that actually true? Is it just that they've gotten rid of the Comixology store but the app still exists? I thought the app had gone away.
1: I remember getting an email saying you must move all your stuff into Amazon from Comixology which in theory I did but I've got... There are a lot of comics in there that I don't remember buying, so...
0: I am reading... I am current... There is an app on... I am reading something on Comicsology right now, so...
2: Oh no, yeah, I've just opened Comixology and it says, uh, as of April 2023, this app is no longer available. So the Amazon the Amazon website, I guess, hasn't modified that little string for the last eight months, which my impression is that Amazon has not been taking their comic arm um, as seriously as comic fans might like. And certainly, may- maybe that's unfair, but it-, it seems to be the case. Um,
1: so I think everything I own on Comicsology is now just coming up in my Kindle library. Okay. And also some comics I don't remember buying. Right, why do I own a bunch of issues of a 2011 Uncanny X-Men?
0: Can anyone tell me? I don't think I bought them. Yeah, no, I, the, the, the comic that, um, that turned up when I opened Comixology wasn't what I remember buying.
1: If you open Comixology, do you have a bunch of Uncanny X-Men from 2011?
2: Uh, I, do not, I do not think I do. All right. I have a lot of Hellblazer. I have a lot of Sandman. I have The Psychopath Club by Sandra Bond. But I don't have any X-Men. I mean, this is the point where I also
1: say that my pick is also a 2023 game and therefore potentially eligible for
0: a Hugo. So we're getting your
1: Hugo stuff done early.
0: Yes, I'm, I'm going to try and make sure all my picks are 2023 for the next few weeks.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not going to win, but it's good to have alternatives to Tears of the Kingdom so that there are other games alongside it when it inevitably wins.
0: I feel like Tears of the Kingdom probably will win and it very much annoys me, but there we go. Not that I've played it. <laughs> no because i i hated breath of the Wild sufficiently um it's not that i hate it it's that it has no forward momentum for me
2: we have a letter of comment on this episode from andrew january uh because i posted a link to liz's pick in discord <laughs> uh andrew january writes in to say on switch and he assumes other platforms too if you play the demo and then buy the game your progress will carry over which is useful to know thank you very much andrew and then he says he assumes on the episode that Alison talks about the Sudoku Boys and their playthrough. Ooh. So, you, but you didn't talk about it. Yes.
0: Oh, so the Sudoku Boys have played through this one as well. I mean, I it, I kind of do like all the games they play through. They do, they do pick them.
2: But that also means I can link to that in the show notes for people who do not want to play it, but do want to get an idea for what it be like. So, um, so yeah, I will do that. Thank you very much for rating in, Andrew. <laughs> and that was the Octothop podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. I almost exclusively play my Switch on the TV because um, I don't like playing it portably because I have to either use the Joy-Cons, which I find are too small for my massive old man hands, or I have to use a like pro controller, which I have to take with me as well as the Switch. And if I'm going to take the Switch and the controller for the Switch, I might as well take my iPad, which I've got anyway, and a controller for the iPad and then play things on the iPad. So like almost all the time I'm playing my Switch, it's docked which I know is like highly atypical, but I really wish the controllers were more comfortable. I, they're designed for kids. I completely understand why, but...
1: Oh, I've had regular kind of regular human-sized hands and I find them okay. It's not the most comfortable one.
0: Well, I have, I have fairly small hands. It was what really stopped me taking piano seriously. And um, yeah, no, I, um, <laughs> I, I really like Joy-Cons. They work really well for me. Oh that's true. I can easily do an octave and a second.
1: So uh, regular person hands.
2: I get RSI if I play the switch with the um in portable mode, or if I play it with the Joy-Con slotted into the holder thing. The thingy, yeah. So I had to buy a pro controller so I could play without getting thumb pain. Uh-huh. Because the the joystick's are too close. Which, like, you know, most controllers are designed for men so like i'm not begrudging the fact that they did one that wasn't and it must be pain in the ass if this is the other way around so i sympathize for all you ladies out there
1: it's a penny arcade joke about xbox controllers isn't it have you seen that
2: no it's
1: very old
0: now yeah I mean, there mean a lot of, there are a lot of controllers i just can't use but i'm fine with the playstation one and i'm fine with the switch one i'd pr- probably prefer the playstation to be slightly smaller
1: oh dear god i just went up to i just went to look up the penny arcade comic i was referencing and it's from 2002 oh my god (laughs) (laughs) are you cracking up laughing at a a 21 year old penny arcade comic
0: (laughs) 21 year old penny arcade i would have sworn i had read all the 21 year old penny arcade comics but apparently not or maybe i just forgot it and could read it again
2: The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license.
0: This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.